after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Ju Judas took a company of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, please let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that time, at that Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? So the company of soldiers, their captain and the Jewish officers, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised Jewish leaders that it would be to their advantage for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus as another disciple. That, that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews gather. I have said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. They surely know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, give evidence about the wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, those who were also there said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a, re a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again, and at once a rooster crowed. So Pilate came out to them and said, 
What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man wasn't doing evil, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your own law. It is, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jew replied. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Pilate went back inside his headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this old, my servant were of this world, my servants would have been fighting so that I would, wouldn't have been handed over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. You are, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no grounds for charging him, but you have a custom that I release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him in the face with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus answered him, Then Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He went back into his headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You won't speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why he who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Kapatha, 
Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, and he went out, carrying his own cross to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothing among, among themselves and they cast lots for my clothes. This is what the soldiers did, standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When, it, when he had received the sour wine, Jesus said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a special day. They asked that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth, because these things took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says, they will look at the one they pierced. Brothers and sisters, through the work of Jesus, grace and mercy are yours. Amen. I'm guessing that you've probably seen people wearing t-shirts or with bumper stickers that say, y'all need Jesus. 
Have you seen that? And when you see that, you, you know what's being said usually, at least it's some indication that what you're doing is different than what they're doing and you need to change it. It's some indication, really, that you need to be saved from what you're doing. Y'all need Jesus. And so who's going to save you? When we look at this text, it seems to me that there are lots of people who need saving. In fact, I think we can go through each different people group that's there, each one that we read about, and we can see that each one of them needs saving. In fact, when we read it, we're almost inclined to, to move towards saving them, to wish that it could be done differently. Just start with the crowd that's there. The people who are there who turn their backs on the Lord's work. We're often reminded that some of the people in this crowd had also been present at the triumphal entry, had been celebrating Jesus. He came into Jerusalem with shouts of, Hosanna, you are our king. And here they are, turning their backs on him and on his work. Here they are with shouts and jeers, crucify him, crucify him stirred up by the chief priests and teachers of the law, stirred up by people who ought to have known better. Crucify him! Crucify him! Their shouts echo in our ears. Surely they need saving. We have no king but Caesar, they say. And so doing, declare that the separation between them and God is complete, declaring exactly what their forefathers of old had declared. We want a king just like the rest of the world. We want a king just like Caesar. Away with him. Crucify him. The crowd needs saving. What about the soldiers? This group of men who are supposed to be about justice. This group of men who serve at the whim of the king. This group of men who are supposed to defend and fight for. Instead, instead, present in the moment, use this, this chance to mock a lawless bunch. They put a purple robe on twist together a crown of thorns, strike him in the face with a closed fist, hail king, they spit in his face, they need saving. And what about, what about the leader, the one who has the power to stop all of this? The one whose headquarters, most of this trial or sham of a trial takes place. And as they're there, this one who keeps bringing him back in, who keeps questioning, and who keeps going back to the crowd, declaring two different times, I find no guilt in him. The one who turns to Jesus and asks, don't you know that I have the power to set you free? So why won't you answer? And yet Jesus seemingly gives him more authority and says, you've been given power from on high to do whatever it is you wish to do, and so do it. And yet here's Pilate doing the thing which is politically expedient. 
rather than the thing which is right. Here is Pilate who hands him over to be crucified. Here is Pilate grows ever more afraid. What was he afraid of? He's the ruler of the area. What was he afraid of? He has the power of Rome behind him. And yet, filled with fear, he still chooses to do the thing which is in his best interest rather than what is right. And then one final blow as he dispels all notion that Jesus might be a different king as he writes, the king of the Jews, dismissing all to be just like the nations. Pilate needs to be saved. And then we turn back again to the, to the soldiers who take him and nail him to the cross, affix him to the cross for the purpose of him dying. And there at his feet, instead of having mercy in his final moments, they continue the mockery as they cast lots for his clothing, as they instead mock him in death as they did in life. Soldiers, Pilate, the people, people who need to be saved. There's a different way to understand salvation too, isn't there? And this different form of salvation, I think, I think finds its meaning when you see Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross. For all of you who've ever loved your mother, isn't this a hard moment to see? Don't you want to take her to the side and say it would be better if you didn't watch? And yet there she is. And Jesus sees her. And if we didn't know the character of Jesus, we would say that inexplicably he addresses her. But we do know the character of Jesus. And so when he turns to her and says, dear woman, here is your son. And to John, that disciple whom he loved, here is your mother. We see Jesus caring for them even in these last moments. They both needed to be saved. They needed rescue. But it seems like a consolation prize compared with having Jesus. And then there's one more way to think about this saving. And it's the man who is at the center of it all. The man who is at once powerful and in complete control and at the same time powerless and in control of godless people and a godless ruler and godless soldiers in a godless world. In the midst of all of it is Jesus. And when you read this text, if you have any compassion in you, you see the need to be saved. I know that as I see this, I want to stop the abuse. I say this, I think, every Good Friday. I can't stand the fact that they strike him in the face with their closed fists. I want to stop it. I want to stop the soldiers from mocking. I want to go to the trial and speak in his defense. I want to stop Peter from denying, and I want to stop Judas from betraying, and I want to stop his followers from fleeing, and I want to stop the nails from piercing. I want to stop it all. But when Peter, one of his closest followers, said the same thing, Jesus called him Satan. 
and said that he didn't have in mind the things of God. And so I'm forced back into the text to realize, to realize that this isn't a story that I have control over, that I have no power to rearrange events, that I couldn't have stopped it even if I was there, to realize that I couldn't do anything to make the situation any different, even though I might want to. I can't even save myself. Because this isn't a story about who we can save. This is a story about a Savior. And the one who is at the center of the story, that one who is powerful and in control and yet powerless and out of control, is the one who's doing the saving. He doesn't need any intervention from us. He doesn't need any work from us because this is precisely what he has come to do. He could have stopped it if he wanted to. But he didn't want to. Because it had to happen. So that he might demonstrate what it means to love your neighbor even when they hate you. So that he might demonstrate what it means to submit to authority. So that he might, mean, so that he might display what it means to recognize the cruelty of the world. So that he might display that in the midst of all of it, there is still a granularity to his care for his people so that he might demonstrate, so that he might be the one who saves. Jesus isn't the one who needs to be saved. He's the one doing the saving. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to say that he is the one doing the saving? What does it mean to say that he is the Savior? It means y'all need Jesus. But it's no laughing matter. It's no joke. It means that we are the ones who need saving. We are the ones who can't do it ourselves. We are the ones who find identity in each of the groups and people in the story, that we are the ones who are opposed to the work of God in our lives, choosing instead our own ways, that we are the ones who are too concerned with self and with what is expedient to do what is right, that we, we are the ones who are cruel. And without help and without hope, were it not for the man in the center of the story. For this, brothers and sisters, is about our need to be saved and about Jesus fulfilling his mission to be our Savior. We all need to be saved. We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus, who had previously come to Jesus by night, 
also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. They laid Jesus there because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby.